Hi again, everybody. This is Professor Mark Movsesian. I'm the co-director of the Center for Law and Religion at St. John's. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Professor Mark DiGirolami, the other co-director of the center, for another episode of Legal Spirits, our podcast series on cases and issues in law and religion. You can find past episodes archived on our website, lawandreligionforum.org, that's one word, um, or on several streaming platforms, including Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and Android, and lots of other places. Uh, well, Mark, this is going to be our last episode for the year. By the way, I made a mistake in the last episode, listeners. I said we've been doing this for six years. In fact, we've been doing it for four years. But I like to think that we've given you at least six years of content in those four years. So it wasn't, it wasn't entirely wrong. But um, we're doing this for four years, and this is going to be the last one um, for this year. And we're going to close out with a seasonal podcast about a very interesting Establishment Clause case from right here in New York. The case is called Eris Evolution versus Bradley. And I want to, I want to thank our trusty CLR student fellow, Brendan Spagnolo for flagging this one for us. It's a really interesting case. Um, most of the time, when the Establishment Clause comes up at this time of year, the case concerns a Christmas tree or a nativity display on public property. You know, sometimes it's about a school choir singing some Christmas carols at the, at the school holiday party. But this case is not about Christmas. It's about New Year's Eve. It's about New Year's Eve. More specifically, it's about a law that restricts the sale of alcohol when New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday, as it does this year. The plaintiff in the case, uh, Eris Evolution, is a bar and event space in Brooklyn. And Mark, you said the name has some meaning, Eris. Well, so Mark, I don't know. And by the way, uh, uh, happy uh, uh, Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year. Uh, 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 happy New Year and Merry Christmas to you. Um, but but uh, I don't know if this is the meaning that is intended by the people that own this bar. But uh, Eris, of course, was the goddess of discord uh, and and misery uh, in in ancient Greece, and was traditionally juxtaposed against the goddess of harmony or harmonia. So uh, uh, I'm not sure whether that was a, a conscious or or un- subconscious reference with respect to the name of the bar, or not uh, not a conscious reference at all. Uh, uh, but but it is uh, unfortunately something that does seem to uh, be driving this case, and that is a certain <laughs> amount of discord with the uh, with the laws at issue. Well, Mark, I want to give you credit because your your knowledge of classical literature is much greater than mine. So you know these these allusions. Uh, I think it probably is because this this bar is located deep in the heart of hipster Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and uh, so irony is not unknown uh, there in Williamsburg. And perhaps that's why they chose this name. I don't know. Anyway, the bar is the plaintiff in this case, and it has sued to enjoin enforcement of a restriction, as I said, a restriction on. Uh, the sale of alcohol on New Year's Eve, when New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday. The bar has sued, claiming that this is a violation of the Establishment Clause, which, of course, prevents the, uh, any law respecting an establishment of religion. Last month, the district court in New York, in the Eastern District, ruled against the plaintiff, holding that the restriction does not violate the Establishment Clause under Supreme Court precedent. So in this episode, we're going to describe this case uh, Eris Evolution. We're going to discuss how it fits with the Supreme Court's longstanding doctrine on Sunday closing laws under a very famous case called McGowan versus Maryland from 1961. 
Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about one of our favorite topics here at the center, which is the history and tradition test, which comes up in this context, it turns out, as it does in, in so many others. Um, we should say, by the way, Mark, you, you were talking about this with me just before the episode, just before we started recording, that the plaintiff has appealed this decision. But I guess so far, Mark, the Second Circuit hasn't acted on it. I checked the docket, Mark, and and uh, looks like this um, this case has not been decided or or a different. Uh, this is on preliminary injunction, I should say. So one might expect that there would have been some kind of uh, a ruling from the Second Circuit, certainly before New Year's. So it might be uh, that that listeners will um, will have a different ruling to deal with by the time they're actually hearing this podcast in the Second Circuit's opinion, but but uh, we do what we can with the time that we're given. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I would have thought, you know, on, a, on an action for a preliminary injunction, it would have moved up more quickly, but I'm sure the Second Circuit has other things to do. Okay, let me give you the facts of the case, listeners. Um, as we said, Eris Evolution is a restaurant and bar and performance space in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and it wants to serve alcohol throughout the night on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. Now, normally that wouldn't be a problem, but this year, New Year's Day falls on a Sunday. And believe it or not, New York State, I wouldn't have thought of New York State as being particularly a blue nose state, but, but New York State has certain restrictions with respect to selling alcohol on Sundays. Generally speaking, New York law prohibits bars from selling drinks from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Sundays. Uh, and also from 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. Monday through Friday, I should say. Now, bars are allowed to apply for permits to remain open all night as an exceptional matter. Um, and the State Liquor Authority traditionally grants such requests when they come on New Year's Eve, because New Year's Eve obviously is a big night for bars. They make a lot of money on New Year's Eve. People are out partying well into the morning. However, however, by state law, these all-night permits are only available on weekdays, so they're not available on Sundays. And the Liquor Authority, the State Liquor Authority, has indicated that it will not be granting any all-night permits for Sunday, January 1, 2023, for New Year's Day this year. Okay, that's the background. As I said, the plaintiff has sued the State Liquor Authority in federal court seeking an injunction requiring the Liquor Authority to grant it an all-night permit for New Year's Eve this year. And the argument, as I said in the introduction, the argument is that New York's ban on Sunday all-night permits violates the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which, of course, forbids any law respecting an establishment of religion. Okay, that's the lawsuit. Um, uh, and, you know, one of the, one of the um, requirements for obtaining a preliminary injunction, there are several, but one of them is that you are likely to prevail on the merits. Last month, the Eastern District ruled against the plaintiff. And some of our listeners may know that the standard for obtaining a preliminary injunction is a pretty strict one. And one of the requirements is that the plaintiff shows that the plaintiff would ultimately prevail on the merits. And here, the Eastern District held that the plaintiff, heiress evolution, ultimately was not likely to succeed on the merits because, the court said, under a very famous case called McGowan versus Maryland, which is a Supreme Court opinion from 1961, New York's law saying no alcohol on Sundays, or I guess we should say New York's unwillingness to give a permit to sell alcohol on Sundays in this, in this situation would not violate the Establishment Clause. 
Mark, you want to take it from there? Yeah, sure. So, so uh, just a little background for listeners on uh, McGowan versus Maryland. McGowan was an 8-1 decision written by uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren, um, and, and it involved one of these Sunday uh, uh, closing laws that was challenged on establishment uh, clause grounds. And, and the, the court ends up, in, in that case, rejecting that claim because they say, for, really for three main reasons. Um, number one, Sunday closing laws were initially motivated, the court says, by a, a desire to promote Christianity, which, which would be a problem, the court said, uh, at least would have been a problem under the court's prior test. But at least over time, the court says that motivation has been replaced by secular concerns uh, or secular justifications for the law. For example, to preserve a uniform day of rest and recreation and for our family gatherings and so on um, for, the, for the country as a whole. So basically, the court says these laws are now justified as public health and worker protection measures without any, um, without any religious significance. Um, now, Mark, and if I just want to add, just for our listeners, this was an, this was an eight to one decision. This was not a particularly close decision. Yep, I think only right. only Justice Douglas dissented. Right, exactly right. And and uh, now today, any connection to the Christian Sabbath, the court said, was just uh, coincidental. Um, so it's in some ways that there there are other there are other cases um, that that go in this direction as well. Just just as the state can punish murder, notwithstanding the fact that the Ten Commandments uh, calls for, for punishment, um, uh, the state can reserve Sunday uh, as a day of, of rest, um, right? Uh, notwithstanding the fact that, that the Ten Commandments also uh, requires it. So, um, so that's one kind of justification. Uh, then the, the court also talks about history and tradition. The court discussed the history of Sunday closing laws in America. It said, look, these laws are very old. They date back to the colonial period. Um, and the court ends by saying, quote, it is common knowledge that the first day of the week, namely Sunday, has come to have a special significance as a rest day in this country. Sunday is a day apart from all others. The cause is irrelevant. The fact exists, period, and, and close quote. Um, yeah. So so that's, that's sort of the... Um, uh, at least at that time in 1961, the fact existed uh, that that Sunday was was a day of rest. And, and yeah. uh, so that's how the court sort of decided the case. Yeah, we're going to come back and talk about about uh, McGowan. I mean, there's plenty of room to criticize McGowan. Uh, and we'll, we'll come and talk about that in just a second. But that is what McGowan holds. And so if we come back to the Eris evolution case, Judge Block on the Eastern District concluded that McGowan preempted Eris Evolution's argument, the plaintiff's argument, that the secular justifications for Sunday closing laws were just an unconstitutional sham. Um, the Judge Block said, under McGowan versus Maryland, what New York was doing in this case was, was completely constitutional. New York could restrict alcohol sales on Sunday mornings if New York wanted to as a kind of public health and safety measure. Now, it's true, Judge Block said, um, this might not be a fully rational restriction, given the fact of what else is going on in, in our society during the week, but, but that doesn't mean it's unconstitutional. And in light of McGowan versus Maryland, um, uh, Judge Block said this wasn't constitutional. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, this wasn't unconstitutional. Right. It wasn't it, unconstitutional. That it was okay, that it was constitutional. Right. And, 
And um, interestingly enough, you, you mentioned, right, that uh, the judge said that the, maybe the law is not rational, uh, but it's not unconstitutional because, of course, um, suggesting maybe that the law could be challenged on equal protection uh, uh, clause bases or some other constitutional basis, even even at the lowest level of scrutiny. It's simply that um, the establishment clause requires something more than a law's being irrational uh, to to strike it down. And since this was the particular ground on which the, the, the law was being challenged, that that challenge was foreclosed by McGowan. Right, right. And I also want to say, you know, we were talking about McGowan versus Maryland was eight to one and it was a different America when it was decided you were you were hinting. But Judge Block said in his opinion, in this case, you know, McGowan is still good law. And that's true. Uh, the court has cited McGowan approvingly many times since 1961, including in endorsement test cases like Lynch, which is the Rhode Island crash case and McCreary, which is one of the Ten Commandments cases. In fact, in fact, as Judge Block noted, and I hadn't remembered this actually, the court cited McGowan approvingly just last term in Kennedy versus Bremerton, which is the high school football coach case. Um, Kennedy versus Bremerton, we've talked about it here on Legal Spirits before. That, that case endorsed an original meaning and history test for the religion clauses. And the Bremerton court said, you have to understand McGowan in light of this test, this history and tradition test, um, because McGowan had analyzed Sunday closing laws by looking at their place in American history. Just as you said, Mark, that's one of the reasons that the McGowan court said these Sunday closing laws were constitutional. It was that they go back a long, long way. They are part of the American tradition. So that's all correct, Mark, with respect to the case. Uh, the case was on for preliminary injunction, and and that explains why Judge Block, a district court judge, uh, held what he held with respect to um, uh, the likelihood of success on the merits. Um, now maybe we can we can sort of move on in, into a, a more more general discussion about let's say the the persuasiveness of McGowan. I mean, I think. And I've written a little bit about Well, first, Mark, before we get into that, Mark, I think we should just lay out on the table. It seems to me anyway that Judge Block was clearly correct under McGowan. I don't think this New York law violates the Establishment Clause under, under McGowan. And I can't imagine that the court is going to reconsider McGowan, especially given what it just said last term in Bremerton. What do you think? I think that's probably right. I agree that uh, Judge Block was right with respect to his reading of McGowan and right with respect to the outcome of this case as an establishment clause challenge. Uh, and and with respect to re revisiting McGowan, yeah, that's probably not going to happen at any time soon. Uh, although, of course, we can talk about the reasoning of McGowan and whether it's whether its reasoning is, in fact, fully persuasive. What do you think about that, Mark? Well, it's interesting. People critique McGowan quite a bit as, you know, kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, does the court really mean it when it says that, OK, this has nothing to do any longer with the Christian Sabbath? We just happen to have this day. And, you know, that's just how it is. Um, people have criticized that. Um, uh, I think it's one of these things, though, if you really if you really take history and tradition seriously, then, well, we have a tradition. It doesn't necessarily matter how it originated. At least as of 1961, we had a tradition that there was a uniform day of rest. I think the McGowan court says, you know, people can just sleep late if they want to. But, you know, this is for family. This is for friends. This is for getting together and relaxing. And, and 
as a matter of fact, it is on a Sunday. But uh, I completely understand many people look at McGowan and say that's just baloney and that everyone understands this is the Christian Sabbath and that's why we have it. And the court has looked the other way. Yeah, no, I think I think actually I'm sort of in sympathy with with uh, both points in both directions, um, because, you know, if, if you think about when McGowan was decided, as you say, it was decided in 1961, um, where the court even it acknowledges the Christian roots of the practice. Um, but it says, look, we're not going to strike the practice down because to do that would uh, would kind of give a um, give a constitutional interpretation of hostility to the public welfare, uh, which which isn't which isn't necessary. But if you think about, let's say, the relationship of McGowan to another case that we sometimes have talked about together, which is Sherbert versus Werner, which was decided uh, just just two years later, you can see the way in the nineteen the early sixties and where, the way in which the court is slowly starting to kind of pare away or or shave off the clearly Christian underpinnings of the civil religion that was. Uh, prevalent at the time. So in, in McGowan, it came at you through a kind of an establishment clause challenge where the court said, no, 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 don't worry about that thing. That's that the the fact that it's always Sunday, <laughs> that is the day of rest, right? I mean, if, if it were really true, by the way, Mark, that uh, this was just a secular day of rest, that why Sunday and why only Sunday, right? But the court said, no, 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 that's just, that's just the fact of where we are. And now it doesn't have any Christian underpinnings. And by the way, then two years later, in Sherbert versus Werner, it kind of gave, which which is a, a case involving um, a free exercise clause challenge, well, involving us involving a non Sunday Sabbath observer, involving a non Sunday Sabbath observer uh, uh, who is who is challenging the fact that the state only recognized Sunday uh, as the day of rest for purposes of granting unemployment compensation benefits. And the court said, no, 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 you can't do that, right? You, 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 have, to, you have to allow this uh, Seventh-day Adventist uh, her day of rest, uh, right? You have to compensate her at least equally uh, for somebody who, who takes the traditional Sunday day of rest. You can see a kind of um, dual action in what the court is doing through Establishment Clause doctrine and Free Exercise uh, Clause doctrine as systematically sort of devaluing or, or um, how to put it, diluting the sense in which there's a distinctively Christian civil religion that is the basis for all of these laws and regulations um, that, that, that were at issue. That's interesting. I haven't thought about how to square these two cases, um, McGowan and Sherbert. I mean, you might look at it a little differently, Mark. You might say, well, in McGowan, the court seems to be saying that it's really not a problem for the state to have a uniform day of rest, which is, for historical reasons, the Christian Sabbath. But if individuals incur kind of specific personalized costs because of that, like like the Seventh-day Adventist in Sherbert, well, then you have to compensate that person somehow. So, so it's like there's not a kind of generalized grievance here if Sunday is the Sabbath. But there might be particularized grievances that the state has to account. I just, I'm just thinking of that out loud, listeners. I'm not sure that makes any sense, but I just thought of it given what you said. Well, it's it's interesting you say that. So, and and that might be right, but but it's it's only by secularizing the day of rest that McGowan comes out the way that it does. 
Um, and and um, and so as in some ways, Sherbert follows exactly on the heels of McGowan, because if it's not a if, if there's a religious objection or if or if Sunday is taken to be uh, the if, if a day of rest on Sunday is taken to be religious in nature um, or right or the cause for not granting unemployment compensation benefits, well, then it's a problem, right? Then yeah. it's a problem. So it seems to me that I do see a kind of parallelism. Both cases depend upon the essential non-religiosity uh, or secularism of the particular uh, of, of Sunday, either as a day of rest, um, in the case of McGowan, or as a or as the the day of you know not working for purposes of getting unemployment compensation benefits for free exercise purposes in Sherbert. Well, I think, by the way, it also what happens in McGowan seems very similar to Lynch versus Donnelly in the sense of, you know, this is a Christmas display, but it's not really Christian, right? It's just a holiday display. And, you know, everybody understands there's for historical reasons, there is some, you know, there are some links to the Christian holiday. But of course, the court says this is really not meant to be understood that way. This is to be understood as a kind of secular, you know, happy kind. So similar idea. It is it is de-Christianizing something very Christian in order to make it pass muster under how the, under the court's constitutional tests. You know, Mark, what's interesting to me is that this New York law even exists. Uh, I didn't, I, I was shocked at this. And in, in 1961, when the court decided McGowan, Sunday restrictions were much more common. Um, nowadays, although there are still some limited Sunday restrictions in some places in the U.S., um, especially with regard to the sale of alcohol, the trend is clearly against such laws. In, in most of the U.S., it seems Sunday is just another shopping day. And, and that really has been a huge transformation to, since 1961. Right, Mark? I, we, we just assume that malls and other stores are open on Sundays. Although, you know, it's interesting that you say that because uh, so I grew up in a dry town uh, in, in just outside of uh, Boston. Um, right. So, and it, of course, there were liquor stores parked at all of the uh, all of the borders uh, going into my town, but but it was a dry town, and and there's another difference actually. I think in Mark, in, what town was that? I'm curious. What Wells, was Wellesley, Massachusetts? Wellesley was dry town. Dry oh. town. It was when I I don't know that it still is, although I suspect that it still is. But it, it's a dry town, and the other thing um, that's kind of interesting um, is that. Um, uh, in, in our uh, shopping, you know, f- food shopping uh, uh, stores, we don't, and I still think of us, think of myself as a, as a Boston native, I suppose, but Massachusetts does not allow for the sale of alcohol at all in, uh, uh, for example, if you go to, a, uh, you know, whatever it might be, some, some supermarket to, to get your food. Whereas in New York, of course, you can get beer. Beer is sold um, in, in supermarkets, although wine, of course, is not sold. Um, so, and, and neither is hard liquor, but, but so New York has still has some of these remnants, right. Of, uh, right. Decisions about what can and cannot be sold, which again, you might associate with like, who who cares about that any longer, right. You should just be able to sell liquor wherever you want to. Well, that's interesting to hear about Massachusetts, Mark. And I guess we still have some Sunday restrictions, but, um, not, not, uh, those are kind of exceptions. I mean, that's not the way most of America is right now, but. We could do a thought experiment. Um, There is a small movement to restore Sunday restrictions here in the United States and also in Europe. 
Uh, some of our friends are involved in this. Saurabh Amari, who's been a guest on this program before, has talked about um, reinstituting some sorts of Sunday restrictions. Uh, others have as well. And one could imagine certain localities in the U.S. deciding that they would like to restrict shopping on Sundays to promote gatherings of friends and families, including, of course, uh, including, of course, for religious observance. You know, it's sort of a gentle ecumenical integralism, I guess you might say. Now, look, there'd be pushback, obviously. Um, you know, as I say, I think many people are now accustomed to shopping on Sundays. Of course, business interests like being open on Sunday, especially large businesses. I, I expect it would be mostly small businesses that wouldn't want to open. Um, also, you have religious minorities that that celebrate the Sabbath on other days of the week. I think for understandable reasons, they would impose, they would oppose Sunday restrictions. Sherbert versus Werner. Sherbert versus Werner. Very good. Um, many people would object now. So if localities were to try to do this, they'd have to start off slowly. But, um, and, you know, maybe they could restrict certain hours or certain items like liquor. But just to continue this experiment, if a locality were to enact such a restriction, I think McGowan suggests that that would be constitutionally permissible, right, Mark? Um, yes, I, I think so. Although it would it would depend on um, depends what kind of tradition you mean. So it can't be it can't be the case that, for example, those that would like to reinstitute, let's say, a, a Sunday closing law for expressly religious reasons. Well, I mean, one would one would need to know uh, a little bit about that tradition. Um, now, of course, a different tradition, maybe it's the same tradition, maybe it isn't, of um, sort of day of rest public health closing laws uh, stripped clean or, you know, uh, uh, removed, just um, divested of religious significance. Well, that might be a slightly different uh, tradition, um, uh, and one would need to either find a way to um, align these or call them something else. But yes, I do think that at the very least... Um, a municipality that wanted to do this uh, would probably be able to do this, depending again on the reason that they have for doing it. Yeah, well, of course, they're never going to say we're doing this because we are trying to promote the Christian Sabbath. I mean, they're not going to be as, as foolish as to do that. The question is, I guess, whether they could come up with some other things and make a plausible argument that really, you know, this is what it's about. I have another deeper question, actually. I mean, Considering the fact that we've kind of largely abandoned the Sunday closing restrictions in the last 60 years, um, is that a new tradition? Or, or might we say, do we still have a tradition of Sunday closing in America any longer? Yeah, I mean, if you remember, the, the McGowan court said it's just simply a fact that, um, right. that we have this, you know, pe people think of Sunday as the day of rest. Well, what if it becomes not a fact, right? Facts those kinds of sociological or empirical facts about what the culture does or what people expect, they do change. Um, now, I do think it's still fair to say that people regard the weekend as a fact of rest, right? I mean, a lot of people, yep. they think of the work week in terms of a Monday to Friday and then a two-day period of rest. So to that extent, there is a fact, continues to be a fact of, um, of, of sort of public health minded restfulness on those two days. Um, is there something, do you think, Mark, different between Saturday and Sunday uh, any longer in the public consciousness uh, when we're even speaking about the weekend? Uh, 
I don't know for, I mean, I think for some people, yes, for other people, no. I mean, look, Mark, I began by saying my impression is Sunday is just another shopping day in America or a day for, you know, kids football games and things where, you know, just like Saturday. So, so I'm not sure. I mean, I I guess what we're talking about here, listeners, is more generally what a tradition test is. And, you know, traditions are not static. And if you're going to say there's a tradition of something, then the fact that for 60 years we really haven't had it would suggest there isn't a tradition now there you can get oh i'm sure there are ways to overcome that you know it could be a tradition in some parts of the country not in others um you know it could be a tradition for certain localities not others but i'm just saying it's it's somewhat more problematic yeah it's true you know anytime you deal with these tradition tests you 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 have the challenge of describing just exactly what constitutes the tradition um, in, in my own uh, favored view of this, of course, the this is a sort of sliding scale metric where you, you think about longevity, you know, as the court did in McGowan from colonial times to the present. And even if you have a break of some, whatever it is, 40, 50, 60 years, if you have a kind of long and continuous tradition before then, then it would at least be permissible for a municipality that wanted to do this to do it without running afoul of the Establishment Clause. doesn't mean you have to do it, of course. If a municipality doesn't want to do it, um, it's not like somebody could bring a constitutional challenge to say, we must do this under the Constitution. But at least with respect to what would be okay, what would be okay to do, um, you know, it, it might be that, by the way, Mark, as new, tra- new uh, religions, I should say, new religious ideas uh, uh, develop that will have different views, will develop different views about what the day of rest or what the period of rest from the work week ought to look like. Um, interesting question about whether you could draw on that earlier tradition for some new or some some different sort of configuration about what um, the public health requires for the the public day of rest or days of rest. I could even yeah. imagine two days, right? You could have sa- Saturday and Sunday, right, as uh, uh, as as the public day of rest. Well, you might have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because it seems like since COVID, we're moving to that world in which Friday and and maybe even Monday are not necessarily work days anymore. But uh, well, we'll see about that. So we're getting a little far afield here, but it just shows this is an interesting topic and uh, as I say, a fun seasonal topic. And I think with that, we'll end. This will be our last podcast for the year. Um, We're looking forward to seeing you all back again next year. We'll start up again in January with another episode of Legal Spirits. Mark, I want to say again, Happy New Year and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Same to you, Mark. Thanks a lot. This has been a lot of fun. And listeners, uh, uh, have a wonderful holiday season and a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of uh, you and all of your families. Yep. Okay, gang, we'll see you all uh, in the new year. Bye for now.